right now everybody's trying to figure out how to work from home and how to tell that story in a way that you know prevents them from either getting infected or bringing that a disease to their own homes. The coronavirus pandemic may be the biggest story of our lifetime. As such, many journalists must step up their game and master complex medical and health topics as part of their regular beat. Are they rising to the challenge or getting trapped under a mountain of data? I'm Michael O'Connell. This is It's All Journalism. Alberto B. Mendoza is the executive director of the National Association of Hispanic Journalists. He's also the founder and publisher of Palabra, a digital platform that provides an opportunity for freelance journalists to share their local stories, perspectives, and an acute and honest representation of the Latino community. Welcome to the podcast, Alberto. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Okay, so first of all, can you talk to me about the, the mission of the National Association of Hispanic Journalists? NHJ, which is the National Association of Hispanic Journalists, we call it NHJ for short, has been around for 35 years. And the focus back when it started really and the mission still remains, is how do we diversify newsrooms, especially newsrooms, mainstream newsrooms, where markets have a large population of Latinos, but they're not represented in news. And we know that it's important to ensure that that news is, represents the communities. And so we advocate for the diversification of newsrooms. More recently, we've been adding also the accurate representation of Latinos in news. Both admirable and desirable things to help accomplish. So how are you able to accomplish those things through your mission? We we work in collaboration is the bottom line. I mean, the other, there are a couple other associations like us. We have the Black Journalists Association that also actually started a few uh, about six years before NHJ did. We have the Asian American Journalists Association that started, I think, shortly after ours. And so we work in collaboration with other affinity groups to ensure that the diversity is really happening. We've also really focused on ensuring that Spanish language media and those journalists that work in Spanish language media are a part of the organization as well. Although the mission was primarily focused on mainstream English media, you can't really be the Association of Hispanic Journalists without including all those journalists that work in Spanish language media. So for us, it's an opportunity to really educate communities about who we are, what we're doing, and really reclaim our narrative to ensure that it's also not offensive and accurate. So why is it important to diversify uh, the newsrooms and the news that they cover? Really, it's about perspectives. It's about your audience. It's about really, if you look at the demographics of who we are as Latinos, who we are as, as other groups that are continuing to grow in population, it's really smart business to be inclusive and to include those voices and to include those perspectives. I think the beauty about the United States is that we really come from so many different cultures and we're all immigrants. And so to take the approach where you can find all the beauty and that intersectionality between all the cultures, that is who's going to win. It's going to win in viewership, it's going to win in revenue, and it's going to win in really setting the leadership role for how other news should do it. So what are some of the challenges that Latino journalists face, not just in getting their stories, reaching a larger audience, but you know, even maybe getting hired or moving up in a newsroom? Wow. that That is a, <laughs> the challenges are, are many, sadly. I think the reality is that Latino journalists really have to compete and have to be better than to even get it shot. And sometimes what we find is that Hispanic and Latino journalists really end up being the only one in the newsroom that is Latino. And so they end up either getting all the stories that are about the Latino community 
or they're really trying not to just take all the stories so they don't get pigeonholed as to being the only voice and the only one that really tells those stories. So a lot of times they don't have, uh, they don't have allies or they don't have other partners in the newsroom that can help them pitch stories that are really about the community in a, in a favorable way. Most of the Latino journalists that I've met really go into the field because they want to tell those stories about the, their communities that they come from. And so when they get to the newsroom, uh, the version of what community means is different for the news director. And so if that journalist wants to talk about the community and how Latinos are targeted by the police department, for example, and what happens on Saturday nights, uh, when they get to the newsroom, they're going to be told to go interview the police department because the police department is saying the Latino community is harassing them. And so they want to get the story from the police department. And that's when that journalist says, hey, wait a minute, that's, that's really, that's not what's happening. This is what's happening. And so I think that starts creating that conflict for that journalist who's there, who thought they were going to be able to tell those authentic stories about where they come from. And when they get to the newsrooms, they have to really sell it, sell it, sell it, pitch it. And then something else happens and the story never makes the air. So it starts creating that, that disconnect. In other cases, we have Latinos and Hispanic journalists that are recruited for their uniqueness. They, they have a unique perspective and they have great stories to bring. Uh, but when they get to the newsroom, they're expected to assimilate. They're expected to be like everybody else. And when you start stripping them of that ability to be their authentic selves, to blend the fact that they're multicultural, uh, you start really stripping at, at their passion of what storytelling means to them. And so, Sometimes it's not even about the recruiting part. It's about retention. Um, so those are two good examples, I, I think, of, of what's, what's unique about some of the challenges. So what type of resources do you, does NAHJ provide to its members and to, to Hispanic journalists? Well, you know, um, I think because it's been around for 35 years, it's definitely uh, molded and adjusted to, to what was needed in front of them. Uh, you know, simply gathering at the beginning when they first founded really was that that's the peer support peer-to-peer -peer support that again they didn't have in newsrooms like i mentioned in many cases and and sadly it hasn't it hasn't changed that much they are just the only one or there's one and an african-american or one and an asian um and so they've had to find community that way but they haven't found community with the other Latino journalists. So NHJ has consistently and really throughout its 35 years has been a center for that networking and that kind of moral support, that, that network that allows you to see others that look like you and others that are dealing with the same kinds of challenges. Now, more, more recently, and, and I would say in the last three years, four years, NHJ shifted uh, its focus to provide more professional development for its members. Training and development, it has now been at the core of what we do, in part because the technologies are changing so quickly. And uh, when the recession happened just 10 years ago, and a lot of journalists were not given the opportunity to continue, or they just didn't have the skill set to continue, we just lost a lot of journalists out of the industry. And so we now want to make sure that our members are equipped with the latest technical skills that are going to usually, they're going to be used in all storytelling. So we focus on the professional development through training. Uh, 
Uh, we provide that support in, in, in being able to gather. We gather once a year for a huge convention conference that includes a, an incredible job fair, includes you know, hundreds of training sessions, and we also celebrate each other. By coming together, again, that networking, that ability to say, hey, you're my hero. Let me, how, how did you do it? And that ability to connect young journalists with journalists who really are just emerging. Now, I, um, before we turn on the microphone, you know, we're two people meeting for the first time. And of course, the thing that's on our mind most is the coronavirus. And we talked a little bit about that. Is the coronavirus presenting any particular challenges to the Latino uh, reporting community? The challenges are, are the same that are being presented in many ways to all journalists. Right now, everybody's trying to figure out how to work from home and how to tell that story in a way that, you know, prevents them from either getting infected or bringing that a disease to their own homes. So everybody's trying to figure out how to do it. And uh, we're actually having a webinar this week, this week or next week, that is designed for our members to kind of that, that reality of how to report when you don't have a newsroom. And what are those elements that you need to keep in mind and keep in, on track so that you have the ability to continue to do your job in the best possible way. The other reality is that a lot of Latinos are also in service positions. And so those are the ones that are still working the fields to get food to the tables. These are the ones that are still packing things. So in many ways, we're also telling stories about our own community and our own friends and family. So the story becomes very personal and very intimate. And with that really comes this, this challenge that there are so many myths out there as well. There are so many Latino, longtime family old remedies for every kind of ailment you have that start plaguing what people start listening to and reacting to. And then there are simply people that really have not had a chance to really even pay attention to the news because they're working so much and working so long, such long hours. And news has never really been able to connect with those populations. So there are folks out there that are not as informed and therefore are not protecting themselves. So when we look at the story, we look at it, how it affects almost all Americans. It affects our personal lives. It affects our work lives. And it also really affects how we move forward. And I, I see that in a lot of the reporting around the coronavirus that, you know, once we get sort of past this initial, you know, all the big, uh, you know, health department data, the cases of, of positive coronavirus, the coronavirus deaths, the, you know, how the localities are responding to it. And we start looking into the communities and, and how each of us, each individual, each family, each community is sort of dealing with this. A lot of the stories that you see are, are very similar, that we all have sort of the same things that we're kind of dealing with, our own fears and our anxieties about this. But also, you know, we may have lost a job. You know, maybe we maybe we we're working a low-income job and that, that's not deemed an essential service, and suddenly your your hours are cut back or you don't have uh, you don't have income coming in. How do you deal with that, with the fact of being maybe stuck at home and uncertain as to what, what your future is and, the, and this kind of scary thing? And so, I mean, I guess a challenge for all of us as journalists is, is to try to tell those stories, those personal stories of how this is impacting people in different ways. And that's just it. I mean, they're all very personal stories. I mean, there isn't anyone now that really doesn't know anybody that's been impacted. I mean, as, as an organization, we lost our first member a week ago Sunday. And since then, we have seen that, that other journalists are reporting testing positive for coronavirus. And that's because they're out there. They're out there and their commitment to tell that story 
is really what they went to. It's uh, our board president, Ugo Balta, likes to say, you know, we're in the industry of running to whatever people are running away from so that we can get that story. I think it's it's just quite noble and at the same time, just part of the dynamic of, of wanting to tell the truth. You know, again, when you ask what do we do for our members, we try to also be that, that cheerleader and that voice that says thank you, but also here you here we are in case you need something we can offer. One of the things that we are doing actually is happening tomorrow, and we are doing a campaign to thank a journalist. It's the national campaign that NHJ has led and has asked several organizations. I think we're uh, over 40 organizations have joined. And it's our opportunity to thank journalists for risking their lives and doing everything they can to get the story. It was inspired by the fact that we lost one of our members because we didn't get to say thank you. And as other journalists are testing positive, as we're losing other leaders in the community, as we're losing other friends, you know, let's not wait until it's too late where they can't hear us. Let's thank them now for the fact that they're taking all these sacrifices and all these risks to, again, do their job. And they are. They're press essential. We're here to just celebrate that, at least for one day. And I know that my experience uh, with the job that I have uh, working at a local digital website, that people really kind of appreciate this information and are looking or actively looking for it. So, you know, that's kind of a nice place to be where, you know, not too long ago, you know, I, I tell people, you know, <laughs> if you go into journalism because, you know, if you think people are going to like you, you know, that's that's sort of a false assumption. Generally, journalists are not particularly popular people. And that's okay. I mean, as long as you understand that, but it is nice occasionally to be thanked. And sometimes you do get thanked when you do a story well, people realize it. So yeah, I think that's really kind of a positive thing to do. And I'm glad to hear that your organization is doing it. Well, we, we also have members that live in other parts of the world, especially Mexico, South America, Central America. One thing that's very unique and that actually we're experiencing more now. In those countries, being a journalist really can be a life or death situation. There is so much organized crime that the wrong story could get you killed. American journalists, American Latino journalists have not had those challenges for a long time. But really, in the last few years, there has been so much more hostility to minority groups, especially Latinos, especially what's happened around immigration and the border. And now you do have journalists that are you know, sharing more of how they're being attacked, how they're being harassed, and they don't feel safe in the way they used to. And so this is the first time, I, I don't know if ever, but uh, at least in a long time, where journalists in the field have fear about what could happen to them just because they're a person of color. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's just the the, the tenor of the times that we live in. It's not an excuse, but that, that's certainly, you know, it's something that we need to as much as we can bring to people's consciousness that it, it's not okay, that violence against journalists is, is is a terrible thing. You know, we have a history of, you know, supporting press freedom, and there have always been journalists who, who have covered stories that have put themselves in danger. And there are other countries, certainly, who have greater press challenges than we do. I definitely think that journalists are taken for granted. I think that also because we have different political spheres of influence, you know, journalists and media can be really put in different categories. And so that starts creating more of that tension, you know, whether it's Fox News or CNN, you know, they're perceived as to be in opposite sides. 
But at the core of both groups, there's news that is being shared. And then there's a lot of political opinion as well. And so I think that the audience confuses that and also just starts creating more of that tension directed at a journalist. Right. Yeah, quite um, often they, they may be something, they, there may be a cable news person that they, they it tells a story that they don't like. And you happen to be the, the, you know, the local reporter that they can, they have suddenly they have access to and they're willing to express their frustration or anger at you as opposed to, uh, sort of putting it where, where maybe it belongs. Yeah. And that, that's again uh, a reality. We had our, our national convention, um, in San Antonio last fall. And, you know, it was, it was a very, very different convention that we ever had at least since I've been a part of the organization. And in part, we had to have security detail. We had to have armed guards. And in part, because just not even, I think it was three weeks before, four weeks before, there was a massive shooting in El Paso where it was an intended target. The Latino community was the intended target. There was another incident also in Texas that happened in the freeway, again, targeting people of color. And so for the first time, we're, we're at an event where the, you know, leadership in, in DC is demonizing journalists, demonizing Latinos, demonizing the community. And so we were fearful when we, we couldn't, we wouldn't just stop, but we knew that we needed to do a little bit more to protect our members or at least given the sense that, that they were being protected. It doesn't help that the administration gives sort of a tacit pass for people who do act violently toward journalists because they they said something that runs counter to whatever the the mission is or whatever the message is that that puts all journalists in in danger but but certainly journalists of color who who may be demonized uh, around certain political issues you know they become greater targets sadly the mantra of a dictator right. right discredit the media and if you can do that then you have a whole population that joins in on that. Exactly true. You mentioned the uh, coronavirus webinar that you're going to do, but I also saw that you you do, um, I guess, mental health webinars or meetups or online meetups or something. Yeah, this actually started, I kind of started noticing that, and this was a couple of years ago, especially when the stories and the separation of families at the border were happening at an incredible rate in the summer, a couple summers ago. And there were journalists who really were from those same neighborhoods who were feeling the impact of really telling this story that was very personal. And I thought, okay, gosh, no, no, this is hitting home in a way that, that is different. And I'm not a journalist myself, but uh, most of you guys really work really hard, long hours, and you never take a break. You're on to the next story. So self-care has never really been what I would say is a priority for journalists, but it really all came really to a halt after the shooting in El Paso. We had members that were really, really struggling, especially those who were working in Spanish language media. They were at the front lines as soon as the first rounds of pictures, live video was being sent to journalists in the newsroom. And you know, we knew that we needed to to do something. And so we have a, a, a couple of members who kind of shifted directions and have focused more on kind of crisis management. And we did a, a workshop, two workshops in El Paso. We took one to a group of journalists 
we didn't even get around to the, the, my name is on the third person. Everybody in the room was crying and everybody was just finally letting it out because I think sometimes you can't even do that around your families. You can't do that around coworkers. Just everybody was letting it out. And by the time the two and a half hours later, you could see that people were feeling just a little bit more relieved. Then the next day we went to UTEP and did a workshop for students that are studying journalism. And it's interesting because their reaction was was different. They were more angry, they were more vocal, and they definitely felt even more in danger. Like walking through campus, all of a sudden they kept turning around because they didn't know if someone was going to be, you know, shooting at them while they were just in school. So it, it became clear that we needed to do more and not ignore the mental capacity of our journalists so that we can get them to continue to do the work but also take the time that they needed to to feel better and to heal. We just did a follow-up, I think it was in late January, early February. And we also had one-on-ones. So the ones that needed a little bit more one-on-one time, we did that. So six months later, we went back and just had a follow-up with the same groups in the same way, with the same one-on-ones. And just the response and the gratitude and the personal professional development that happened because they had some support from an organization like us just really validated that it was the right thing to do. And as soon as this happened again, we were just back to thinking, okay, what is it that people need? What are the things that people need to respond to? And the reality is, again, a lot of us are struggling in different ways. This is an unknown. We don't know how it's going to end. We don't know when it's going to end. We know and we're seeing that people are being laid off left and right now, especially in the journalism field. And so we want to make sure that people are aware of what they can do, how to take care of themselves and really how to cope, how to cope and manage some situations that they have no control over. The life of a journalist is really a strange thing because you can be very detached about whatever you're doing and very intellectual and very focused on the on the work and, and, and the reporting and, and producing something. But sometimes it bleeds through the what you're what you're facing and what you're dealing with. And it gets harder and harder sometimes to, to walk away from it and to leave it at the office or leave it wherever you, you encounter it. So, you know, it's great that you, you did that. And I hope you continue to do that because it sounds like something that would you know, that I think a lot of other, you know, news groups should, should be thinking about if they're not already doing it. And, and I think they are. And, and, and one thing that's also happened is that a lot of the other peer organizations, we're sharing each other's resources. We are telling each other of the webinars and the things that we're doing. So even though they're specific to the organization that is doing it, it's really for everybody. And it was a series of three over three weeks in English and in Spanish. We say these are for everybody. We might be the host, but these are for everybody. And obviously the ones that are in Spanish are if you speak Spanish, but especially the English ones. And we just keep sharing because other everybody's really stepping up. And I think this is the time to share resources. I think the nature of journalism is to be competitive. But right now we have a collaborative spirit that I haven't seen in a long time. And I think it's great because we need to. This is not the time to see who's first. This is the time that we actually share resources to to really help our industry. Before we wrap up here, I, I did want to talk a little bit about Palabra, which, if my high school Spanish is correct, means word. Could you tell me what that what that is and, and how it is helping Latino journalists? Sure. So um, Palabra, period, <laughs> technically. It's, uh, you know, the final word, la última palabra, the last word by NHJ. And this concept 
really goes to what I mentioned earlier that, you know, for 35 years, we've been pushing for diversity. For 35 years, we've pushed it in the same way. We need more Latinos hired, blah, blah, blah. And while we've made some gains, we've also not moved very much. And so the reality is that while we'll never stop advocating for that diversity, in some ways, that's a square peg and where where we don't fit that opportunity in that mold. So, so rather than just keep doing it the same way, why don't we add another element? And so we've added Palabra as a way for us to basically expand the lifespan of a journalist, especially a freelance journalist. For freelance journalists, the Latino freelance journalists that have come through our ranks, what we find is that maybe the first year or so, it works out to a degree, but then the work becomes less and the bills become more. And if you were already downsized or you had a position that made X amount of money and they restructured and now you're a journalist that is now on contract, but you're not a full-time, you have to pay for your own health insurance. You have It just starts becoming so much more of a, of a bigger beast to manage especially administratively. And so now what's happened is people have left the field. They go on to take jobs teaching or becoming, you know, administrators or they're the director of communications, PR, and they leave the industry. And that completely has an impact on not only the generation that's coming up that won't have mentors, but just that voice of experience. And so Palabra is the opportunity for us to extend the lifespan of a journalist. So you could be a professor teaching or you could be doing something else. But if you're creating original content, especially about the Latino community, we want to see that and we want to share that. There are not enough stories about our community that are just really about the general public. Right now, everything still is about Trump in reaction to Trump or some kind of crisis which right now we are definitely in. But there's a lot of great things that are happening and, and those stories just don't get out there. And those perspectives don't always get out there without them being kind of stripped of that ethnicity or that Latino-ness. This is a, a platform where we get to tell those stories. We've started a, a soft launch last year. We're already kind of gearing up. It's been a great success. It's been received very well. And it's a place where you can learn more about our community, even just by by reading the stories. Alberto, thank you for coming on the podcast. You've given me a lot to think about. At least for this half hour, I have a better sense uh, of your organization and the good work that it's doing. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you for the invitation, and I'd uh, love to be back sometime. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, why not sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter? You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicole Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music. Emilia Brust helped with our booking. Nicholas Hunter provided a web assist. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening.